0: I think now that we're collectively going through what looks like an uncertain season, the message of hope is significantly uh, <laughs> preached more in our, in our sermons, in our worship sets. And so, uh, yeah, it's definitely helped to know that we're all in this together. Between the Grooves is hosted by James Curtis, music director and morning man in the greater Toronto area on Joy Radio. Hosts James Curtis talks to artists and industry insiders to discover the connection between music and faith. You can connect with the show at FaithStrongToday.com/slash between the grooves or via Twitter at Between Grooves.
1: Hey there you are. Hope you're doing good. Welcome to Between the Grooves, your weekly look at music ministry and everything in between. This is episode 210. And this week's episode features a great conversation with Shoah. She's an artist, worship pastor, singer, songwriter. We're going to talk about her campus church, her involvement there, the changes that she's seen in worship over the pandemic, talk about prophecy in worship, even songwriting, writing during the pandemic. Oh, and a little about her music as well. Let's welcome Shoah to Between the Grooves. To say it's a little confusing sometimes uh, when I'm playing your song on the radio because my wife's maiden name is Siwa, spelled S E W A. Oh, wow. Yeah, what are the chances, eh?
0: <laughs> That's so strange.
1: Yeah. What's so, your uh, background. Uh, she's from Guyana. Oh. So, uh, but but interestingly enough, all of her brothers have different last names because of the way their uh, they were tracking births and everything else way back when. Um, you know, it was all done by hand, so you know there's misspellings, and so each of her brothers, and she's got seven of them, uh, each yeah. of her brothers has a different spelling of their last name. It's it's quite hilarious, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, one of the greatest things about your name is that it's really easy to spell your name on the keyboard.
0: Yes, it is.
1: Yeah, yes, S-E-W-A. Is. You go it's on the keyboard, the same. you got the four <laughs> letters right there together. Not many people have that advantage. So that's, yeah. that's one thing you got going for you. <laughs>
0: that's a positive for yeah.
1: Sure. yeah, yeah. So listen, you are connected with Minstrel Records. Um, yes, I am. I guess this is a label, right? Yes, it is. Is this a label that you... Uh, found or they were seeking you out?
0: Um, So it's part of my church. It's a label that uh, was created by Campus Rush Music. Okay. So I already serve as a worship leader there. So it just made sense that I joined the label for my solo projects. yeah.
1: That actually makes sense for a lot of churches to be doing something like that because there's so many talented people, even when you watch – Uh, you know, some of these uh, songwriting or or singing competitions, a lot of these people come from churches. Uh, There's so much talent there. And it's a great way to, to, uh, to learn and to get better before you even get out into the public, right? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, that's probably something a lot of church churches uh, should consider doing. You know, moving forward, it just makes a lot of Mm -hmm. sense, gives you the support, and uh, it allows them a platform to get the music out elsewhere as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So you are a a worship leader, singer, songwriter. Are you also a pastor?
0: I'm a worship pastor. Okay, okay,
1: okay. So worship leader slash worship pastor. So uh, how many people on your team?
0: Uh, Pre-COVID was like 20-ish, 25. Now it's roughly eight, nine. Right. Yeah. COVID had a lot to do with uh, the reduction in number. Yeah. For sure.
1: Was that just because everything was online and so you were limited in what you could do with with people?
0: That and also, um, I guess, the restrictions with numbers. You can't have too many people on stage at the same time. All of that um, took a toll for sure, but.
1: But did that, so you now have a smaller core, which is not necessarily a bad thing. And I've seen a lot of churches uh, end up that way. And I guess the positive part of that is that, number one, relationship-wise, you can certainly get to know these people a lot better than a larger team. And then the other part of it, too, is uh, you can certainly get better. You could, you know, learn to work with each other so much Mm -hmm. better as well, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it worked out really well in the end.
1: Many many years ago, I was a uh, worship leader in my church, and oh,
0: wow.
1: um, I had you know there was there was a you know core group of people that you worked well with, and I had mm-hmm. uh, a keyboard player, um, and she was. I mean, my brother's a keyboard player as well, and and you know he kind of always knew what I was up to. He kind of yeah. could see where I was transitioning and whatnot, <laughs> uh, even if I was you know go- gonna throw in a song that wasn't on the list, wasn't on the yeah, set right. list. Um, but then he moved away. He moved to British Columbia, and then there was this other girl who was a keyboardist, and she was amazing. She she kind of. She could read my mind. She kind of knew where I was headed as well, and she kind of knew all the signals and and stuff. Did you have you found that has happened a lot in the last few months for you?
0: Yeah, we're definitely closer. It feels like family more than ever before. Um, the numbers aren't as distracting anymore because it's like a family, a core. So we we work so well together because we have this like chemistry that wasn't there pre-COVID. So I, I totally relate to that story, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah.
1: What do you do now, though? With smaller numbers, it means that there's more participation with your core members, which yes. means that they're probably growing. involved every single week. Which means yeah. they're pretty busy.
0: Exactly, and they're growing as worship leaders as well.
1: Yeah, but uh. th- what about burnout? Like, would they would they get to a point where it's just like, oh, this is too much? I, I wish we had a larger
0: team again. Yeah, I think of that a lot because I'm like, ah, it's the same people seeing me every week. But I try very hard to give them room. Like a few of them are on vacation right now and we're just kind of shuffling around. But yeah, it's definitely something I'm worried about, but it's been okay so far.
1: Right. And then I guess, what about growing the team once again as well? You're coming out of COVID, hopefully there's no more restrictions and and no more lockdowns and whatever else. Um, Is this now a time to start growing the team once again?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think it's a slow transition. Um, Some of our old members will definitely be coming back, hopefully. I think a lot of, because it's a um, student-based ministry, a lot of students went back home because you know school isn't open physically, so I think a lot of people will be coming back, and hopefully the team can go back to normal, right? <laughs> Whatever that looks like now.
1: Yeah, exactly. What does uh, what does it look like as far as being on the worship team? What are the what are the qualifications you look for?
0: Honestly, heart is number one. I think skill is important for sure. I can't dismiss that, but. I think the heart to worship is probably the most important. Uh, we don't actually have a audition process, which sometimes people think is strange, <laughs> but uh, we just trust that you're here for for God. And of course, uh, put you where you fit. Um, sometimes you just need to be an admin, sometimes you need to be a worship leader, sometimes you need to be part of the choir. So. The number one thing for us, or the criteria, I guess, would be the heart of worship.
1: And so there's a lot of people with a heart of worship that can't sing, as an example, exactly. or play an <laughs> instrument. So how do, you, how do you handle situations like that? Like, you know, somebody's bad and you, you can't necessarily yeah. tell them, you know, you really can't sing very well. So what do you do?
0: We've had situations where we had to, like, respectfully tell them to um, join either the choir or join a different ministry or do something more less uh singy i guess more admin more planning uh so i it's hard to manage that but we just tend to put them in positions that suit them better right and helps them to excel i guess in a sense
1: and if you have a good sound person they would just know what to do with the levels anyways on that person
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> that too <laughs>
1: I've done sound for many, many years in my church, and can I tell you, I mean, because I have a musical background, and I, you know, I know what harmonies are, I know, I know all that stuff, I've done it, and uh, so... I'm very often listening on cue to see okay what are they doing and uh, one part of it is if they're just singing the melody like everyone else then mm-hmm. really there's they're not contributing a whole lot unless visually they're contributing if you know what I mean right, right. Um, but but if they're singing harmony like are they in tune and then mm-hmm. you just you know learn the little tricks where you know the fader's just going to be coming down a little for that person because mm-hmm. of whatever or sometimes when they belt it out that's when they're off key right? Right. And so you kind of keep an eye on that when it's going to get louder or something's going to build musically, then maybe you got to bring their level down. So you always got to keep your eyes on this sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, Because again, in a church environment, you're dealing with volunteers, right?
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah. So tell me about Campus Rush. What is that?
0: Campus Rush is a church, a millennial church that started on Carleton, Carleton campus in Ottawa, about seven years ago now. And it's been such an amazing journey of watching and leading young people um, to Jesus. It's been, uh, it's founded by Pastor Kofi, which is uh, the, oh, sorry, who is the pastor of uh, the Millennial Church under his father, Pastor Ralph, that leads Transforming Life Center in Ottawa as well. So it's like the, the baby church to the bigger church. Uh, And we've put out some music. We are still thriving by God's grace, and it's just incredible.
1: How does it work with a campus church? It would be different from a, I'll use the term in quotes, regular church. And the reason why I qualify it that way is because in a campus church, number one, your attendance would be varying based on school schedules, you know, September through till, I guess, the end of April or something like that. Um, so you, you may see attendance, attendance dwindling during the summer months, but also you would see a lot of the people changing from year to year too, correct?
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, it's, it's definitely very interesting because, uh, a lot of us now graduated years ago and we're still there. So it's now a mixture of, uh, campus students and young professionals. So Technically, it's not solely uh, directed towards uh, just the people on campus anymore. It's a massive mix of just the young people.
1: How in the beginning did it work financially then? Because students generally don't have lots of money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. I
0: mean they do. They just prioritize. Um...
1: Well, if I've got if I've got, you know, cash in my pocket and I'm going to school, then obviously my priority is to be putting it towards my school whether it be books right. or paying the tuition or right. I, you know, transportation to get to and from the uh, university or the college or or just to buy lunch or something, right?
0: Yeah, I, but we tend to see a lot of uh, students that get shoes and shop all the time so they do have money they do save money to you know look good and and feel good so it's it's a matter of um them eventually putting their passion for christ over anything else and in the little ways that they can contribute they do and thankfully we have a a bigger church that's helped us financially over the years and Thankfully, now we're pretty solid on our own. So we have to be really grateful for that.
1: Yeah, that's why I was saying right in the beginning, how did things work out? because.
0: Yeah, in the beginning, we had a lot of support, (laughs) for sure.
1: Many years ago when I went to college, and I went to college for radio... Uh, we decided, you know, we, uh, we had an, a college radio station. We decided, you know, we want to get our name on the map. You know, we want to get this radio station. It wasn't a Christian radio station or anything like that. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, But I was the program director, and we decided we were going to do this big fundraising uh, drive. And I think we kicked it off at the end of January, maybe early February, And we really didn't, you know, it was basically to raise money for a charity. We really didn't care what the charity was, because again, it was just to get our name on on the map, which we did. We were very successful. Uh, We had no idea what our target was as far as mm-hmm. how much money we wanted to raise. So we just picked a number from the hat and we just said, you know, we want to raise $10,000 for this charity. And, and so we went through and the whole stick to the whole thing was, uh, one guy was going to stay on the radio for a hundred hours straight, which he did. Uh, he started yeah. eight o'clock Monday morning and he finished at noon on Friday. I think that works out to a hundred hours. And, uh, and I was there for the last 35 hours of it or something. And I was there each day during the day, but, um, so he stayed on the air and we raised money, but we didn't come anywhere close to $10,000. <laughs> we we maybe were lucky to raise a couple of thousand dollars, if that. Right. And it, as an afterthought, you know, I think to myself, yeah, well, it's all students. They don't have money. <laughs> you know, right, Chris, Christmas right. is over, their next... Tuition payment is due. Uh, they're talk you know, they're thinking about uh, other things beyond school now, about summer jobs and and uh, co-op placements and everything else. They don't have money, so the fact that we raised a couple of grand was probably a miracle. It was mm-hmm. uh, it was this lofty goal to raise ten thousand dollars. So in one sense, you feel bad because you're telling everybody you're planning to raise ten thousand dollars and then you come up short. But again, we'd never done anything like that before. Um, really? So I can understand the challenges that would that you yeah. would have with a, a, a you know a campus um, church basically.
0: Yeah.
1: How do you handle people resources in a campus type environment?
0: Uh, can you explain that question? Well, uh,
1: yeah, w- with with people volunteering and whatnot, like they're yeah. they're all typically, uh, I guess. Short-term volunteers. You know, a lot of times right. in a regular church, you would have somebody who's going to come on board and they're going to stay on board for several years, you would hope, um, as, yeah. you know, you develop relationships and whatnot, and they get experience, they kind of learn the way you do things. But in your environment, it's it's certainly a lot shorter term. Uh, you know, you might not have somebody kind of volunteer in a particular role Till you know, third week in September when things are, you know, getting up to speed as far as schooling is concerned. But you know that they might not be around after, you know, March or April.
0: Right. It's It was interesting. I, I think we have such a unique experience at Campus Rush because we have such dedicated people. We have people who would stay during the summer months. We have people who would stay post-grad like myself. Uh, We just had such dedicated people, and the best part of it is that we raise leaders. So if someone is leaving for the summer months, there's someone else who can pick it up uh, that's staying for summer school, for example. So it's just been a cycle of people who are excited to serve.
1: Uh, What are the numbers like in the summertime?
0: Uh, It's been a minute since we've kept tab of that. Oh, okay. So disconnected from the admin aspect of it, but um, with COVID being a factor, it's even harder to to keep track of what the summer months <laughs> looks yeah. like.
1: Well, certainly uh, certainly with online, for sure. I mean, yeah, you, you, exactly. could, you could guess on something like that. I remember years yeah. ago, I was involved in the youth group. I was one of the leaders and we had our youth pastor leave. And there were four of us that kind of ran the youth group uh, while they were looking for a new youth pastor. And we were able to maintain that. It was during the summer and we were right. able to maintain the numbers throughout the summer. But there was a great need for that kind of ministry in the neighborhood mm. that we were at anyway. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, if we had 40 kids out, it wasn't necessarily the same 40 that started when the youth pastor left to when the new youth pastor started. Uh, you know, right. it was a mix of people, some some old, some new. Um, but there was there was obviously a need for that ministry, and that's why I was wondering for for a campus rush, um, what happens in the summertime? Do things go down a bit, or do they you know stay relatively stable?
0: They stay relatively stable, I would say, especially with the online factor. Um, we just have online viewers to quote unquote replace uh, the students that have gone gone home. Right. Summer.
1: Right. I think one of the things uh, that churches have found overall uh, during the pandemic is any weaknesses they had as an organization. Um, Mm, Obviously when something unexpected happens, um, that's when you discover any weak links or holes in the system. Did you find any difficulties uh, that kind of were in the spotlight once the pandemic hit and, and what did you do to overcome it?
0: I think our online presence was thankfully um, good, but we definitely saw that we needed to make it even better with better cameras, uh, better sound. So we definitely learned to invest a significant amount of money into our online presence. Even navigating Zoom, navigating a whole conference online, we had to do a whole a uh, young on fire conference that just happened, uh, managing online presence and uh, connect groups online and doing so many like mini things online. So it definitely helped us to step up our, our game with uh, the virtual aspect of church.
1: Yeah. I think that's yeah. happened for a lot of churches. It, it forced them, for a lot of churches, it probably forced them to get online for the first time. Yeah. You know, like sometimes yeah. they would take a message and make it in the form of a podcast. But this is that this is totally different when you're online mm. now, um, whether you do it live or it's pre-recorded, uh, even the sound part of it. You mentioned sound. I mean, your your sound in a live environment is completely different from exactly. what you're broadcasting online. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. I think uh, any church that has learned from this and up their game has uh, definitely You know, stood the challenge and and Mm -hmm. done what they should have done because if they hadn't, they they might not be around today. If you know what I mean. Yeah. So, So. uh, from your experience, then on the worship side of things, has has anything changed? Um, because you're obviously less corporate with people not physically being there or maybe has there been a message change, more of a message of hope than maybe some other type of uh, message that might have been part of the worship a year and a half ago?
0: Yeah, I think that is a very good question because pre-pandemic, we, in a sense, didn't understand uh Well, I can speak for myself, maybe everyone else on my team understood it. I think now that we're collectively going through what looks like an uncertain season, the message of hope is more um, prominent than it was pre-COVID. For example, if I'm going through a season of feeling like, what's tomorrow looking like? I tend to assume that it's me and maybe a few other people, but now seeing how COVID has affected a lot of us, the message of hope is significantly uh, <laughs> preached more in our in our sermons, in our worship sets. And so, uh, yeah, it's definitely helped to know that we're all in this together.
1: Yeah, because everybody's in the same boat.
0: Exactly. We all don't know what's going to happen, even post-COVID. Right. You know.
1: And and one of the things that I've found, and I've mentioned this before on the show, um, is is just relationships. Uh, with yeah. everything being online, um, I found that even with some of my friends that, you know, I would get together for a coffee during the week or on weekends uh, because I wasn't able to do that for, for many, many months. When I finally was able to get together with him, it was almost like, um, how do I do this again, you know?
0: Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: How, how do I have this conversation? I'm now seeing somebody face to face. And of course, there's always that awkwardness of, you know, mask, no mask. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had your shot? You know, that sort of yeah. thing. Um, it, it's almost like uh, b- starting starting the whole relationship from scratch again. That's Over kind again, of what I found, yeah. you know? Yeah. Have you found that a lot with your team?
0: I agree with that. Yeah. we're just It's like we're starting something new. We're building from scratch again. It's very it's an interesting challenge yeah <laughs> so
1: what any tricks any tricks that you did to you know help help uh, loosen the mood a little bit and help develop that whole thing
0: I think just over communicating uh, checking up on people consistently outside of the service uh, which I guess should have been a norm again COVID has exposed a lot of uh, gaps in relationships in church so I think even texting, facetiming, doing everything possible to check up on people now that we all have a shared uh, experience. <laughs> so it's, it's already a commonality with everyone. So we can oh, discuss how hopeless we are or how hopeful we are. So yeah, communication is a must outside yeah. of service.
1: Even a phone call. My my kids, yeah. my kids are, you know, uh, basically teenagers, they've got part time jobs, and they rely on texting all the time. And, and I, right. I keep telling them, you know, your, your phone can do more than just text, you can actually make, Absolutely. you know, there's this, this, this novel thing called a phone call where you can actually <laughs> dial this, you know, 10 digit number with area code and actually it rings at the other end and magically and
0: they pick up <laughs>
1: Yeah, magically it rings at the other end and somebody picks up the phone and says hello. And then you can actually communicate back and forth and have a conversation versus just this quick text message each time back right. and forth. Right. <laughs> so,
0: and even better FaceTime where you could see their facial expressions. Sure. And you could, yeah. You know yeah get to see what's really going on with them
1: yeah they're well and and look at you know companies like zoom where you know they were nobody knew about zoom two years ago
0: exactly
1: (laughs) (laughs) they've done very well i would say yes they have yeah so let's talk about you know back on the um on the worship uh, side of things um i guess you in particular do a lot as far as prophecy and worship and i i think uh am i is that correct
0: Yes,
1: yes, so, and I think a lot of pastors in the past have been afraid of that because it's not mm-hmm. something within their control, you know everybody, especially pastors, you know they have a certain way of doing things. this is the way we do church, you know this is the cook, right. cookie cutter way of doing church, and as soon as you introduced as soon as you introduce prophecy into worship um it's it's something that they can't necessarily control now, right? Mm. So, how do you handle that? Uh, how do you maintain order in in a service with prophecy
0: and worship? That's a very good one. Um, I think it took some time to understand even how to navigate that. If you're hearing something and you want to speak hope over people, you don't want to be spooky right. <laughs> or a weird, you know. Uh, so it's a lot. It's a lot of wisdom in terms of communicating that. Uh, you can't just outright say to your church, you know, I see a, a demon flying around or something. You know, you have to be very wise in communicating that in the best possible way. So, for example, you just say, I just feel God is doing something great in this room, or you know, I feel God is doing. And a softer language in a sense mm-hmm. helps people to digest it better is what I find. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting journey with prophecy and worship, but your language really, really matters.
1: And, and I guess who is authorized, if I can use that term again, under the control, you know, part of things, who's authorized to do something like that and what kind of accountability is there for that as well?
0: I think my pastor has trusted leaders, um, he trusts us whoever he's put in positions of either worship leading or even uh preaching a sermon uh he's we've worked with him for years so we know his heart we know what he he knows is best for the church so we for the most part don't step out of line (laughs) in a sense we don't do something that you know is completely uh off the grid with what the Holy Spirit wants for the service. So I think it's years of trust and years of practice also, and years of also making mistakes and learning from them. Uh, but yeah, it's it's trust.
1: And what happens if somebody in the congregation, like somebody that's attending, and I know it's difficult to, to visualize that with an online uh, situation, but how do you handle it if it's somebody in the congregation, um, you know, jumping out and, you know, starts yelling out or or saying something that they believe is a word from God?
0: Uh, We haven't had a lot of those, maybe two in the seven years that we started this. It's something we probably need to learn or even figure out some sort of protocol or some (laughs) sort of system to manage that. But we haven't had a lot of that. And typically in the few times it's happened, it was pretty uh, controlled right to my to the best of my uh knowledge but I don't I don't think we've had a lot of that especially with the online uh well on,
1: yeah online would be totally different because yes. you can control mics and and uh, who has the ability to you know participate as far as you know their mic not being muted and whatnot and exactly years ago <laughs> I attended a a church, uh, and I was there for many, many years, and there was a lot of prophecy and, and you know, words of wisdom and words from God in the service. And yeah. I, I was in charge of sound, and so there was just little tricks that I picked up. Like, um, the the one rule of thumb was the pastor's mic is always the loudest. Uh, if mm. if it came to a situation like that. So if the pastor decided that that was not a word from God or it wasn't the appropriate time to say whatever that person was saying, that their their mic was louder. And then the musicians and the, the music team were also aware of that fact. And uh, if if needed be, the music would start building up. And I hate to say it this way, but it would drown them out. <laughs> You know, right, right, because right. you have to still have that semblance of order and yeah. and uh, approval from you know the shepherd, the leader, the person yeah. in the and i.e. the pastor uh, to make sure that you know he is comfortable and he's fine with that. And if he's not, then you have to have a mechanism in place to be able to handle that mm-hmm. uh, graciously, right? Without yeah. you know embarrassing somebody or without. Yeah. Um, pointing them out or saying you're wrong or whatever else right so there's all these little things that you kind of you know you learn over over the while yeah Yeah, exactly so let's talk a little bit now about your music um you've uh we talked earlier about minstrel records so you've kind of gone and done your own thing as far as music is concerned Mm -hmm. um what made you number one want to do that And number two, maybe we can talk a little bit about songwriting and, and, you know, what's your secret? Because everybody's got a different style. Everybody has a different way of doing that sort of thing. So first of all, uh, what made you decide to, you know, venture out and become this artist that, you know, gets their stuff played on the radio uh, versus just, you know, a worship leader?
0: That's a good question. I was a worship leader for a long time and I never thought I would be an artist. I actually the artistry part of my ministry kind of fell into my lap. Um, I was serving at Campus Rush Music uh, for for two years or about a year. And in that process, I was working with two of my co-pastors and they were songwriters and they started writing music. And I just happened to be in the room and we would record these songs and an album was out so (laughs) i was like okay i guess we're making music um over time i started stretching myself in writing and eventually i'm like wow this feels natural it's nothing i ever thought about i was in science for such a long time and the myth with scientists is that you know science and creativity don't mix (laughs) so for a really long time i thought i was solely called to to things that are scientific and not so much creative. Um, But with God putting specific people around me, I started to um, discover this gift of songwriting, discover this gift of, you know, making music. And uh, being an artist just happened, to be honest.
1: And so when you're writing music, what's, what works for you? What doesn't, is there, you know, do you have a creative space that you go into or is it a time of the day or is it uh, you know, co-writing is your thing. Um, what works for you?
0: I think a lot of things over the years, I've learned that it's not just one size fits all. Um, it's different methods. Sometimes it's co-writing, especially in seasons where I feel like I have writer's block. Uh, Writing with other people has been really helpful in those seasons. In other times, I just need my room to be clean (laughs) so that, you know, I have a nice space where I can be fully creative, Um, but it's it's up and down. Sometimes I'm in service and I hear a melody, I record the melody, I go back home and put lyrics to it. So it, it shifts its different in different seasons, to be honest.
1: And what was it like during the pandemic? What was did the writing change, uh, especially with co-writing, because you'd have to do it all on, all online, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. It's interesting because I was discussing this earlier with uh, one of my friends. You would feel that you know, in the pandemic, you would write way more songs because you have more time to yourself. Um, you have all, all all the alone time that you could need to, you know, spend with your guitar, spend with the keyboard and and write songs. But it seemed like in the pandemic, I was craving um, co-writing, which is such an interesting dynamic. Um, And and it's obviously more difficult to write with others, especially if you can't meet in person. So even navigating Zoom writing or uh, FaceTime writing was interesting. But, you know, I've discovered new methods to write songs now. And I can basically write with anyone in the world at this point (laughs) with Zoom writing.
1: Well, something that you likely never even considered two years ago. Exactly. Right. I think partly, too, with the pandemic is, um, you know, a lot of people are thinking, you know, because I've seen so many people you know, either start a podcast or they write a book or they, you know, have some kind of new side project that they're working on that they decide, you know, whether it's to generate income or or whatever. It's just something to keep them busy. I think a lot of the pandemic was just surviving,
0: right? (laughs) Just just surviving
1: the day to day, especially if you're cooped up at home or if you're limited. For me, I was, you know, I was um, grateful that I was still able to go into work every day because we were an mm-hmm. essential service at the radio station. So somebody had to be here. So I was here every day. It wasn't a lot of people around because most of the staff were working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was relatively quiet, <laughs> you know, um, when it was, you know, office time. It's like, you know, it's wow, it's definitely quiet here. There's nobody around. And the only way you're communicating is through texts or emails or teams or Zoom or whatever else. Um, but just surviving, I think, is a big deal for people.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So uh, we've talked about co-writing and let's talk about space now. Um, Is there a particular place that works for you? Like some people, you know, they can only write when they go away somewhere to a cottage where there's nobody else around and it's their quiet space that they're able to do that. Other people uh, just like the activity around them with music happening. Some people have, you know, a time of day where they're, they're they're most creative, you know, juices are flowing in the morning. For me, I'm not a songwriter, but my creative juices are usually flowing first thing in the morning when I'm in the shower, which doesn't help a lot of people out except for me. And as long as I can write it down when I get out of the shower, that's great. (laughs) Is there, is there a particular time of the day for you in a space?
0: I think nighttime works best for me because it's like everything in the day is finished and I could just have time to myself. Um, But to be honest, I typically just write whenever it's quiet, quiet enough for me to hear my thoughts or, Quite enough for me to not be distracted I guess so any space anywhere that helps me to be you know zoned in is perfect for songwriting for me
1: and how many songs would you have on the go at any given time
0: Whew, um my voice notes right now is filled with I would say hundreds of songs but not finished right <laughs> so it's like I just have melodies or two verses here or a chorus finished here so it's pretty messy but when it's time to you know put a song on an album I go back to the voice notes um, refresh it or even start something completely new so it it varies.
1: Is it all voice notes or is it also you know written stuff you know stuff you've already written down lyrics?
0: Yeah it's also lyrics lyrics that you know I'm inspired by but I have no melody sometimes to put to it Right. Uh, so I have notes open with random lyrics or random lines that I think would be uh, good or creative or quirky that works with whatever song in the future.
1: Well, as I mentioned, I'm not a songwriter. I could just imagine what your voice memos look like on your phone. And <laughs> it's chaotic. <laughs> yeah, like I have. I I use the notes function for other purposes. Sometimes it's just you know preparing a social media post or whatever else uh same thing with my pictures on my phone a lot of times it's like I'm I'm preparing for a post so I'm getting the pictures ready because I really don't like to spend a lot of time on social media I just I just don't have the time and and I don't consider it a high priority in my life um but I probably have lots of extra memory on my phone than you and most songwriters
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah my my phone's packed with too much
1: stuff <laughs> yeah. just back that up back it all up eh? you don't want to lose any yeah, of that stuff I don't
0: want to lose that stuff <laughs>
1: yeah yeah, good stuff well listen uh, let's just talk briefly now I guess over the last year or so you've got new music out and uh, we're playing one of your songs on the radio which is great so what um, is what is the goal for you moving forward as far as your personal music
0: is concerned I definitely want to put out way more music I want to put out an album Full album because I just put out an EP. I think maybe a ten song project would be amazing. I'm also touring with Campus Rush Music in the UK in November, so that's really exciting.
1: Wow, that's um, nice.
0: I haven't done that in a while because of COVID, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, that's basically it. More music, more music videos. Uh, I just want to express myself creatively as much as possible and yeah, more toys.
1: The music for you at this point, is it, um, if I can be blunt, is it a money maker for you at this point or is this uh, still a, you know, as they say, a, um, what's a nice way of putting it? Uh, it doesn't make you any money, it's it's a cost thing more than anything else at this point.
0: I think it's a passion. Um, and I I just really want it to remain a passion and not like some sort of business for me. Uh, I think if God decides to bless it and make it a source of income, glory be to God. But for now, I'm just really focused on bringing out the best music for myself um, and just making God proud through my my art. So (laughs) it's definitely not a source of income.
1: Right. it's not to say that that money is the object for all of this but if it's self-sustaining where you're able to whether it be merch sales or song sales and and even doing concerts and going on the road a little bit making a little bit of money to offset the expense and worst case scenario you break even but if you do make a little then you can put it back towards the ministry is kind of what i was thinking of
0: exactly yeah no it's a blessing to to make money from music especially if you enjoy it and it's Glorifying God, but um, it's definitely uh, an addition to the passion, not like the soul. Right. Yeah.
1: I was uh, online a few days ago, and I'm you know you everybody's part of a group on Facebook or whatever else. and I was on this one group that I participate in a little bit. And I saw a post from somebody I don't know if it's been taken down since because I don't know who the person is. Obviously, if you're a part of a group, you don't know everybody in the group. there's hundreds of people right. in this group. and uh, the the post was something to the effect of they want to that they, they set up a fundraiser because they want to travel the world to give to the poor and so they want to raise money to pay for this trip and i'm thinking i'd like to do the same thing if somebody wants to pay my way around <laughs> the world this is this would be great right <laughs> it's a it's a different lifestyle for a, a musician or an artist whether it's secular or christian but more so on the christian side of things where you know it's it's a ministry and you recognize it as such and yeah um and obviously especially in canada but many many times where you see artists even you know Big time artists that are being played on the radio all the time from Nashville or somewhere in the states—they uh, they've got another full time job. Maybe they're a worship pastor, and that's their main source of income. And then mm. all of this other stuff is on the side. Um, but it's it's nice to see, you know, in your in your particular case where you know you've got the the stability um, and you're able to write and you're able to you know forward this passion of yours, which is awesome. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Well, listen, thank you so much for uh, hanging with me on uh, Between the Grooves.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for uh, for uh, chatting.
0: All right. Have a great day.
1: You too. Take care.
0: Okay,
1: bye. Bye-bye. You can find out more about Shoah at minstrelrecords.ca. She's also pretty active on Instagram. It's time for some artist advice. One of our guests from 2019, Jonathan Mason from Word Worship Music. Here's some tips for us.
0: My one piece of advice
1: for Christian artists, newer old, worship leaders, newer old, is to make sure that you have a local church community that you are. Uh, committed
0: to and investing in and also open to uh, feedback and discipline from
1: getting involved in your local church community, being accountable, basically, and open to feedback as well. Again, accountability. Thank you to Jonathan Mason for that. And that wraps up this week's episode of Between the Grooves. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts because that just helps us reach more people all the time. And you can follow Between the Grooves on social media, Twitter, Facebook, at Between Grooves. Hey, thanks for checking us out. Lots more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.